Oh, good. You're just in time. I'm so happy you could join us in the marsh today. As it's your first trip with me, let me just Lane, say... Lane, we have to stay quiet. Oh, that's a good point. We just spotted today's animal friend. Yeah, and we need to keep our voices down so we don't scare it away. Gosh, where are my manners? I haven't formally introduced myself. My name is Lane, and I'm a naturalist who has set out to learn about all the unique and wonderful plants and animals that we share our planet with. I run a wildlife research station, and each week, I and one of my naturalists in training... We prefer the term nature cadets. Right. I and one of my nature cadets go out into the wild to observe an animal or plant in its natural habitat. Yeah, we learn all sorts of cool stuff, like how the species behaves, how to identify it, and its unique biology. Hi, I'm Emmy, and I'm 12 years old. I have been a nature cadet for almost two years now. Emmy is fantastic at conducting research, but she doesn't join me in the field very often. It's exciting to have her with us today in the marsh to observe our animal friend. Speaking of which, look, it's getting into the water. It's a pretty good swimmer. It sure is. How would you describe the animal, Emmy? Hmm. Well, it looks sort of like a beaver, but not exactly. It's got a dark brown coat and big front teeth. But its tail doesn't look like a beaver tail. It looks more like a rat tail. Skinny and without fur. Those are good observations. Make sure to write them down in your field journal. Will do. I'm also going to draw some pictures of the animal to put in my journal. I'll take some photos while you sketch. All right, it looks like we have all we need to identify our furry friend. Let's head back to the research station and review our notes. Come on, Slowpoke. We aren't leaving you out here in the wild. Hop in the car. Emmy, why don't you come through the Louisiana Wetlands Field Guide and see if you can identify our animal friend while I put away our gear. Okay, let's see. Well, it had fur, so it's probably mammalian. That rules out all the amphibians, reptiles, fish, and insects. It spent time on land and in the water. So that makes it a semi-aquatic mammal. Hmm, a semi-aquatic wetland mammal. That narrows it down some. Let me check the pictures I drew to see if there are any key features I'm forgetting. Oh yeah, big front teeth and a long skinny tail. Got it. Looks like I might have found our furry friend. I think it... Miss Lane, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. She falls all the time. Man, I hope she didn't knock down the preserved specimen wall again. The smell of formaldehyde always upsets the raccoons. Oh right, you're new here. The storage closet stretches infinitely into space. Miss Lane claims there is a logical scientific explanation, but all the nature cadets know it's just magic. Sorry about that. I tripped over a butterfly net between the microscopes and the elephant cage. So, what did I miss? I was just telling our guests that I think I identified our animal friend. Fantastic. What species is it? It's the Nutria. Ding, ding, ding. Great work, Emmy. Wait, Miss Lane, you knew all along? Why didn't you just tell us? Well, because I knew two smart people like y'all would figure it out in a snap. I guess you make a good point. Emmy, is that your sketch? It's great. Oh, that? It's nothing, really. So, um, what else do you know about the Nutria, Miss Lane? Well, I know they are a large, semi-aquatic rodent about the size of a house cat. I also know that they have big orange incisors. What's an incisor? Ah, an unfamiliar vocabulary word. You know what that means. Time to check in with... Vocabulary Jerry the Jargon Robot. Jerry, what are incisors? Incisors are front teeth, specially adapted to cut through material. Your two front teeth are incisors, M.E. Wow, that's so cool. What else should I know about incisors, Jerry? A rodent's incisors never stop growing. As a result, 
Rodents eat fibrous plants to wear down their teeth. Thanks for the info, Jerry. The field guide also says that nutria are an invasive species. I know that term. An invasive species is a non-native plant or animal that causes damage to an ecosystem in which it is introduced. Correct. That means the nutria is not from Louisiana and that it harms wetland animals and plants. Wait, if the nutria is not from Louisiana, then where did it come from? I don't know, Emmy, but I think I know someone who might be able to shed some light on that question. Are you up for a little road trip? Hello, welcome to the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries Central Office. How can I help you? We're here to meet with fur bearer biologist Jennifer Maniel. I called about an hour ago and she said she could squeeze this into her schedule. Oh, yes. You must be Lane. Y'all are right on time. Jennifer's office is down the hall and to the left. Down the hall and to the left. Oh, here we are. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for squeezing us in. We know you're super busy, so we'll just launch right into the questions. Emmy, would you like to ask the first one? Yes, Miss Maniel. I just have to know. Where did the nutria come from? Sure. Um, back in the 1920s, 1930s is pretty common pretty much every woman had a fur coat or dreamed of having a fur coat. So there was a really active fur industry across North America. So with that, you know, came a lot of enterprising minds wanting to find ways to kind of make money off of that. So they had heard of these little critters from Argentina called the Nutria. They have a really nice pelt. Um, it's a member of the rodent family, so they reproduce really quickly. Um, vegetarian so they were pretty easy to keep and feed so a number of people decided to try importing them and farming them for the fur market so the nutria came from argentina wait but if they were stuck on farms how did they end up in the wild you know after they imported them and started setting up all these farms they realized that nutria pretty hard to keep penned up they were pretty adept at chewing through the boards that uh, the fencing that kept the pens so they would chew through the boards and escape uh, storms we get hurricanes down here so a hurricane would blow through take down the fences the nutria would escape or if uh, you know the enterprising mine that started the fur farm ran out of money they would just knock down the fences and let the nutria go so Jennifer Emmy and I read that nutria are an invasive species we know that means they're non-native and harmful to the environment in which they've been introduced what we still don't know is how they're harmful to the wetlands they're very good at eating wetland plants. And if you know anything about wetland science, you know that the wetlands are very soft, muddy earth, and the plants are what hold it all together. So if you kind of picture the, the wetlands as a piece of fabric, you know, we've got these cross threads or the plants that keep everything into one sheet. So as the, the nutrient come in and they pull out all of these threads that are holding the wetlands together, the wetlands just kind of fall apart. That's terrible. Isn't there some way to control their populations? Yeah, what about natural predators? Once they become adult size, they're, it's a 20 pound animal, so it starts to become a little bit too big for our natural predators to eat. How long have scientists known that the species is harmful to the wetlands? It was probably in the late 1990s that scientists started noticing the big eat outs in the marsh, and that was becoming a problem. They had to figure out how to control the nutria. How did they attempt to control the nutria? Um, a number of different ways. So the first attempt to control the nutria was to try to encourage uh, more hunters and fishermen and trappers to get out there and harvest them just for themselves. So they had a, uh, a marketing campaign to try to get 
our local hunters and fishermen to, to eat nutria. It's very healthy meat, very lean meat, very low in cholesterol and low in fat. So that was the first step. Like, let's try to market the nutria. You know, it's not a trash animal. It's something that you can make, you know, a good meal out of. So it just never really caught on. Um, so when that kind of didn't, didn't pan out, the next step was, well, what else can we do to encourage harvest of nutria? And that's where the tail bounty program came in. What's the tail bounty program? Basically what we do is we created an artificial fur market. So we have an incentive payment that we pay to trappers and hunters who will go out and collect nutria. As proof of harvest of the nutria, they have to turn in their tails to a collection station. And that's how they receive their payment. Uh-oh, so you've made man Nutria's top predator by offering a cash reward for their capture. That's ingenious. Yeah, what a great idea. Looks like that's our cue to head on out. We'll leave you to answer that. Thank you, Miss Menyo. So, Emmy, do you think we have enough information to finish our chapter in the Fabulously Fabulous Nature Journal? Almost. I just have one final question. Is it possible to get rid of all the Nutria in the United States? That's an excellent question, which, unfortunately, I can't answer. But I know someone who might be able to help us. His name is Jacoby Carter, and he's a research ecologist at the U.S. Geological Survey's Aquatic Research Center. He studied nutria population dynamics for over 15 years. If anyone can help you answer your question, it's Dr. Carter. His office closes at 5, and it looks like it's, yikes, it's 4.50. Um, well, we won't make it to his office in time, but let me give him a call. Hi, Dr. Carter. It's Lane. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Sorry to call you so late in the workday, but a friend of mine has a really important question that I can't answer. I was wondering if you could help her out. Fantastic. I'm going to put you on speakerphone. Go ahead, Emmy. Ask him. Is it possible to remove all the invasive nutria from the United States? So nutria are bad guys that we'll never get rid of. The nutria is not inherently a bad creature. It's easy to think of it in that light because of the damage it does to our wetlands. But remember, bad is not a proper scientific evaluation. A nutria just does what its animal instincts tell it to do. Eat plants. Lots of plants. It's because the species has been misplaced that its very nature is now harmful. As naturalists, we're not here to pass judgment on an animal's value. We're here to collect and distribute facts about the world around us. I guess you're right. I just wish the nutria would go somewhere else. I bet some of the coastal scientists wish that too, Emmy. Thanks for answering my question, Dr. Carter. We'll let you get home now. Come on, Emmy. Looks like it's time for us to head home as well. All right, Emmy, we have one last step before we can write the nutria chapter in the fabulously fabulous nature journal. What's the final step? 
We have to ask what the people in the nature nerd community want to know about the nutria and help them get some answers. Oh, yeah. I'll check our social media accounts and see what people have been asking. Oh, here's a good one. Stefan Handal asks, why do nutria have orange teeth? Ooh, that is a good one. Why don't you do some research to find an answer to that important question while I get the door? Okay. Wait, get what door? Right on time. I told you she was magic. Emmy, I'd like you to meet a good friend of mine, Peyton Finch. Hi, Peyton. It's nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you, Emmy. Peyton is a pretty extraordinary young person, just like yourself. When she was not much older than you, she began working on a book about invasive species. That's amazing. What inspired you to write a book at such a young age? Once I reached high school, um, I went to the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, where the academic stu- like side of it, the science teachers are actually scientists, so I got to talk to anthropologists and like ichthyologists which are fish scientists on a daily basis so through that i was able to learn a lot about the sort of coastal landscape in louisiana and then i'm also an artist so through that i was like oh my gosh i can talk about all of this amazing stuff that i'm learning through art so from there i started to make little graphics and posters and work on a book With all the cool scientific subjects to write about, how did you decide to focus on invasive species? I was super intrigued by invasive species. The first one that I came to know was the Chinese tallow, which is an invasive tree from China. Um, And basically, they're just all over the place. So I was like, oh my gosh, there's all of these invasive species that nobody knows about. Um, It's kind of hard to learn about it if you're not familiar with scientific research and sort of reading all these complicated graphs. So I was like, there needs to be a way that's like more accessible to reach all this information. So you use art as a way to break down complicated subjects. That's really neat. I never thought about someone combining their love of science and art to create something that could really help the public. I think for me, they don't exist separate from each other. I was always really interested in science and really interested in art, but I sort of kept them as disparate things. And then once you sort of bring them together, they both become so much more enriched. For, you know, art, it's having things to actually talk about that matter. And then from the science side, it's teaching, you know, how to better explain things visually or through auditory means. I really enjoy sketching plants and animals, but I'm not very good at it. Emmy, I wouldn't sell yourself so short. I saw your sketch at the Nutria earlier today. That was just a quick doodle. I'm not a talented artist like Peyton. Remember, Emmy, honing your skill takes time and practice. You didn't know much about conducting research before you became a nature cadet, and now you're one of the best researchers I know. I guess, but I'm just a kid. Even if I was the best artist and the best researcher, would anybody listen to me? Peyton was only 17 when she started working on her book. Maybe she had similar fears. I think just like as a young artist in general, you kind of feel like like your work might not be received well because of your age. So how did you overcome your fear? One thing that I learned really quickly is that you need to treat yourself with a level of respect as an artist and as a person that you want people to treat you with. So I just have to believe in my abilities and show people the work I can do? The amazing work you can do. Thanks, Miss Lane. And thank you, Peyton, for coming over to share your story. Before you go, do you have any more advice I can share with my friends who might be afraid of pursuing science or art? One piece of advice I would have is to sort of not invalidate your ability to practice science. Thanks for coming out to meet with us, Peyton. Yeah, thank you so much. Here, I'll walk you out. 
Be quick, Emmy. Your dad will be here in 10 minutes to pick you up, and we still have to finish our entry on Nutria in the Fabulously Fabulous Nature Journal. Oh, man, I almost forgot about the FFNJ. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Perfect timing. I just found the answer to our friend Stefan's question about the Nutria's teeth. It says here that the Nutria's teeth are orange because the hard outer layer, known as enamel, contains iron. Iron? Like the metal? Yeah. The iron helps strengthen their teeth, but also gives them those funny-looking orange chompers. That's fascinating. We should definitely include that in our journal entry. Sounds like a plan. Let's get cracking. The Fabulously Fabulous Nature Journal. Nutria by Miss Lane and Emmy. The Nutria is a large, semi-aquatic rodent native to South America. Nutria live in wetlands. They are well-suited for this habitat because they have thick, water-resistant coats, webbed feet, and big, strong teeth to cut down and grind up tough wetland plants. Speaking of teeth, you can identify a Nutria by looking at its long, orange incisors. Incisors is a scientific term for front teeth. You have incisors, too. Just like the Nutria, our incisors help to bite and tear into food. A Nutria's incisors contain iron, which gives them a distinctive orange coloring. The Nutria is an invasive species. This means that they are not from America and that they are harmful to the environment in which they have been introduced. They were brought to America to be used in the fur trade industry. Nutria kept in cages found ways to escape. Once out of their enclosures, the wild Nutria population skyrocketed due to high reproductive rates. A female Nutria can have over 20 babies a year. That's a lot of babies. Over time, the Nutria started to outcompete native rodents like the muskrat. They also cause significant damage to the wetlands by eating plants that hold together the loose soil of the Louisiana coastline. People began taking note of the damage caused by Nutria. Government agencies such as the Louisiana Department of Fish and Wildlife instituted programs to monitor and control the Nutria populations. While it's unlikely that we will ever get rid of Nutria in the United States, it is important to continue managing the populations to prevent further damage to the wetlands. Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Nature Nerds. If you like what you heard, share it with your friends, family, teachers, grouchy neighbor, local street cat, or anyone else you think would be interested. While the dialogue between characters is scripted, the interviews are not. Special thanks to this month's experts, Dr. Jennifer Hogue-Miniel, Dr. Jacoby Carter, and Peyton Finch. Nature Nerds is designed for kids with the help of kids. This month's kid co-host was Emmy Farber. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a nature cadet, please contact us at www.nature.nerds.with.lane at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-U-R-E dot N-E-R-D-S dot W-I-T-H dot L-A-I-N-E at gmail.com. Nature Nerds is made possible by a fantastic team of local artists. Music by Ben Ross, cover art by Tori Briggs, and editing by Jeremiah Turner. Produced and hosted by Lane Farber. Eager for more? Don't worry, Nature Nerds will be back with episode two on February 24th. Can't wait that long? We understand. Get your Nature Nerds fill by following us on Instagram or Facebook at Nature Nerds with Lane. Or check out our website, www.naturenerdswithlane.com. Until next time, stay wild, Nature Nerds.